Hebrews chapter 9. Let's move way beyond that. we got to make up some time. Hebrews chapter 9. Guilt. Guilt. We talked about the old covenant and the new covenant. Can I bust away from it being just a theology? The old covenant, we talked about it last week. If you weren't here last week, here's the deal. The old covenant is a stack of rules and not bad rules. You know, we're not looking at them. You know, obviously the Ten Commandments, you know, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It's not a bad rule. You know, don't commit adultery and don't covet. And I mean, these aren't bad rules. And then over 600 rules in the Old Testament, those aren't bad rules. But, you know, just lining up rules doesn't change someone's heart. It doesn't mean all of a sudden that they want to do those things. That was the challenge with the Old Covenant. The New Covenant, Jesus steps in and says, you know what, I can... I can help people on the inside. The old covenant informed them. The new covenant, Jesus says, I can transform them. I can change them. I'm not a distant God. I am present with them. I am present in them. I can change their life. And then it's not conditional. The old covenant was conditional. You know what? If you obey, blessing you don't obey cursing however the new covenant jesus says you know what your sin i will remember it no more and your wickedness is gone from me i love the analogies and the words of one person he said he says um god has cast our sin into the deepest sea and then he puts up a sign that says no fishing allowed that's the issue of guilt and the difference between the old covenant is we could never live up to it we're just incapable of it the new covenant jesus lived up to it for us and he changes us from the inside out i'm going to tell you this is more than just a theology class this is something that god gives us to change us because My wife and I just had the beautiful surprise of a lifetime last night. Because there's a friend from back where we were from who's not a believer, who was captured in addictions, who there was this lineup of don'ts that we could have given him. Don't do this and don't do that. And, And we could have gone through all of this stuff and he knew it. And he couldn't shake all of these addictions, and they were powerful. He was a slave to them. And he tried in himself to get out, and he couldn't. And my, my, one of my kids knew him and worked with him and, and all of this. And, and you know, we, we left where we were, and we came here knowing he was still trapped in this, trying to obey his own rules to get out without Jesus Christ. <clears throat> And we'd had some contact with him after we had been here. And here's the deal. Last night we popped on Facebook. And we saw that he was in a rehab. 
And of all things, are you ready for this? Are you sitting down? He was in a Christian rehab, and our heart leaped. And he was in a worship service. And he was playing the worship service. And are you ready for this? The song they were playing was Graves to Gardens. And the caption he put at the top was, you need to believe to be restored. That's the difference between this old covenant. You know, I need to do this. I got to stop that. I got to stop this. I got to stop that. With no internal power in and of ourself to do it. And then here is Jesus Christ who says, you know what? You just can't do it on your own. You can't. That's what the law teaches us. We're powerless. And Jesus came. He died for all of our sin. And he says, I will enable you to be fully equipped to live and serve me and all of your sin will be forgiven. I'll remember it no more. That's the beauty of the new covenant. That's the difference fully transformed on the inside. A personal connection with God, fully forgiven forever. And I haven't even begun. Let's order in pizza and just keep on going with this message. We got a lot here, but I think I'm going to have to keep on trucking. Let's, let's jump into it. Hebrews chapter 9, there's a lot of detail here that I'm going to navigate through quickly. There's details of the old covenant. I'm going to read through, and then I'm going to show you pictures to show you what he was talking about. There's details of the old covenant. There was an earthly sanctuary. Verses 1 to 5 talk about it. He mentions this earthly sanctuary. The first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover, but we cannot discuss these things in detail now. It's funny, as I read through that, he says we can't discuss it in detail now. It's like, well, he kind of gave a lot of detail there, didn't he? So I'm not sure exactly where he's going with that, but let's look at it for a moment. Here's some pics to show you what he was talking about. First, there was the overall area of the tabernacle. This is a, a reproduction of probably what the Israelites dealt with back in their day. The only thing that would have been different is around this would have been tens of thousands of tents where the Israelites stayed. As far as you could see, would have been their residences surrounding this area of tabernacle. That center tent in there was the primary tabernacle in which were two rooms. So here's how these two rooms broke out. <clears throat> there was the inner room, the holy place. So you go in the first curtain there in the front, 
and there was the holy place. That was an area where the priests would daily do their service. There was a golden lampstand and menorah, and then there also was the altar of um, incense. There was the table with its consecrated bread. And what would happen, the priest would come in and on that altar of incense every day would, would send up their incense of prayers uh, to God. <clears throat> and that was a place they would go into every day. On the most holy place, that was past the second curtain, and there was the Ark of the Covenant, that second covenant, and, or the second room, and that was a place that only one person out of the millions of Jews, one person could go in one day a year. And here that's exactly what they do. Now, let's take a second and look at the ark itself. And when you see this, probably some of, some of you would say, yes, I've, I've seen that before. I did see Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, that's not foreign to me. <clears throat> So here's the deal. In the Ark of the Covenant, there were artifacts that were in there. Now, I'm not sure how much this clicks to you. Ark means chest or container. Kind of makes sense. So this was the chest or the container of the what? Which covenant? The Old Covenant. Does it kind of click in a little bit? I've always just looked at it's the Ark of the Covenant. Well, which covenant? It's the Ark of the Old Covenant. It was a symbol of God's presence with the Old Covenant. And then when we opened it up, take a look at the contents here for a moment. There was a container of manna. There was Aaron's rod that had budded. And then notice... In my translation, it mentions, see what it says in yours, there were the stone tablets, and what does your translation say? The stone tablets of the? Of the covenant. Of which covenant? Of the first covenant, of the old covenant. These were the Ten Commandments. So all of these things, here's the details of the old covenant. This was the place of the old covenant. These were the artifacts tied to the old covenant. This is a way that God showed his presence in the Old Covenant. And so notice, this is exactly the difference between the Old Covenant and New Covenant because back then, God showed his presence through the ark in the most holy place one day a year. Today, God shows his presence, his most holy place. Can we just grab this for a second, people? Did you get your caffeine here? God shows his presence not through the Ark of the Covenant. He doesn't show his presence through behind the curtain. His most holy place is you. It's the believer. And 1 Corinthians mentions, don't you know that your body, your very body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which he bought with his own blood. You 
are the very manifestation of the presence of God, just like the ark, just like the most holy place. It was exactly that is the difference between the old and the new. I want to show you, here's the practice of the old covenant, and i got to keep on flying here. The practice was this, verses 6 and 7, just as I mentioned. The priests entered the holy place on a routine basis to minister. Verse 6. It mentions the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. Verse 7, just as I told you, here's what happened. It was one day a year, only the high priest entered the inner room, the most holy place, once a year, never without blood. And he offered it for, for himself, and he offered it for the sins of the people. And here's what it did. So there's the details of the covenant, there's the practice, and then here's the product. But here's what it did. Here's how it was ineffective. Here's how it was insufficient. The product, there was no personal approach to God for the common worshiper. And this was the product of it. In verse 8, the Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed. As long as the first tabernacle was still functioning, there was no personal approach to God for the common worshiper. Only the high priest, only once a year, of the millions of everyone else, no one else could personally go. There was no way to the most holy place. Verse 9, the old covenant was not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. This was critical. This is the guilt. It's an illustration for present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices which were being offered Here's the big deal. They were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. The guilt was still there. The sin wasn't gone. It wasn't forgiven. It wasn't cleansed. New sins required new sacrifices of the regimen of rituals. It could never clear what was going on in someone's heart. All of it still resided within them, no matter what they did on the outside. And then the Old Covenant, in the last verse 10 there in the paragraph, the Old Covenant consisted of external regulations. All these external foods and drinks and ceremonial washings it mentions in verse 10, all those externals, they could never change anybody. It never changed their guilt. It never changed anything on the inside they were incapable to fully clean their sin, remove their guilt, change their conscience. It did little because guilt is a nasty master. It holds people as slaves. It doesn't let them go in this eternal sentence of shame. I've talked to people who try to drown their guilt through a bottle. I did a funeral this week for someone who OD'd. Trying to get rid of their guilt through a needle. I've talked to people who've paid professionals thousands of dollars trying to 
relieve their guilt. I've talked to people who have gone to religion and have been told, you know what, you need to do all these things. If you just do 20 of these and 30 of these and 50 of these, then that'll help you out. Just trying to get rid of the guilt. I saw this one cartoon. thought it was really fitting. This psychologist said to his patient, Mr. Figby, I think I can explain your feelings of guilt. You're guilty. That's it. And religion says, you know what, go through this washing. Physically washing your chest won't clear up pneumonia. Washing your leg won't fix your broken bone. And it's the difference between the old and new covenant. The ceremonies won't clean up what's on the inside. They won't take care of the guilt. They won't change our conscience. I'm going to give you the best word in the entire chapter of chapter 9. It's verse 11. My translation is the first word. There's the place of the old covenant there's the practice of the old covenant and then there's the product it ain't doing it and then there's the best word and i love it verse 11 but thank god for that word we'd be in trouble but when christ came as high priest and it's all changing when Christ came as high priest. So I circle that word but because that's the whole fulcrum of everything. It all centers on Jesus Christ. It centers on his ministry as high priest. When he came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, they're already under that new covenant it mentions a few things, and this is where we want to finish up. And here's the main final truth he mentions. Jesus' sacrifice truly frees us from guilt. Here's the last few verses. But, and here's what he did. He went through the true tabernacle. That's verse 11. He went through the true tabernacle. He didn't go through that earthly tent I just showed you, that little thing that they, that they built and they did all that. He didn't go through that thing. He went through a heavenly one it mentions in chapter 8, verse 2. He went through the one that God built. That's the one he went through. He didn't deal with the earthly stuff. He went through an eternal one. And then he didn't deal with all the blood sacrifices like bulls and goats and calves like they did on earth. All of the temporal sacrifices, the blood that Jesus dealt with was his own. And that's verse 12. 
He didn't enter by means of blood and of goats and calves. He entered the most holy place by his own blood. And it did something. And I'm going to give you these words, and I need them to sink in deep. Here's the words that completely deal with guilt. Are you ready for this? And I need you to say them with me. The words that deal with our guilt. He entered the most holy place once for all. Once for all. Would you say it with me? Once for once for all. Say it again. Once it's once for all. Because I have people come to me and they say, Pastor. I can understand him forgiving me of this and this and this. But do you realize I did this? Can I just connect with you? I've got three words for you. Once, four, all for all and in that all I found your sin and mine but I did this once for all another phrase by his own blood thus obtaining eternal redemption would you say eternal redemption eternal again eternal eternal I've been away from God for a while okay it's eternal redemption I've not found an expiration date on this thing folks eternal some people say wow I've (laughs) been three years since I've been in church well thank God when Jesus died he gave us eternal redemption and it was once for all that's how God gets rid of guilt so he finishes in verse 14 how much more then With the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God. And here's, here it is. How much more then will he cleanse our conscience? Cleanse our conscience. Guilt-free. Cleanse it. 
says, from acts that lead to death, and I know that that may be tough for some of us to grab just to make it simple, from dead works and what he's talking about are all of those works that we try to do as penance for our guilt. I feel so guilty, I need to, I need to do this to make up for it. He says, those are dead works. They're ineffective. They're not going to clean your conscience because you're going to do all those works and you're still going to feel guilty. They're dead works. He says, I'm going to clean your conscience of all that junk. You don't need to go back and do penance. You don't need to do rituals. You don't need to do ceremonies. You don't need to do special deeds to atone for your guilt. Jesus died once for all with an eternal redemption to clean our conscience. From having to go back and try to clean up our own guilt. We don't have to be a slave to unproductive works that will never cleanse our conscience to begin with. I put it this way. You don't have to revert to enslavement to dead works. You get to advance to serve the living God. You don't have to make up your failures. You get to move forward for God. Here's the point. God gives failures the opportunity to flourish. And we're all failures. And he gives us all the opportunity to flourish. Doesn't that sound good, gang? Gives us all the opportunity to flourish. And in all orbits around one person, Jesus, and around one event, the cross. Remind me of um, New Year's Day back in 1929. <clears throat> I'm sure you all remember it well. Roy Regals, does that name ring a bell? <clears throat> College football, now that we're back as the Big Ten, back into that. College football, he played for the University of California on the Rose Bowl. He recovered a fumble against Georgia Tech, was disoriented, and ran the ball 65 yards in the wrong direction. Thankfully, his teammate caught up to him and tackled him right before the goal line. When he got up, you've seen the Rose Bowl the entire crowd was laughing and he realized his mistake. He was mortified. Absolutely horrified at how he had blown it on the biggest platform of his life. And it seemed irreversible. This was in the first half and everyone back to the locker room at halftime and... Um, all the team is sitting around Coach Price, and Roy is actually sitting over here in a corner with a towel wrapped around his head, sobbing. And it got about to the end of halftime, and 
Everyone's wondering what coach says, and coach says, okay, guys, the same team that started the first half starts the second half, which meant Roy. The team got up, started to go out to the field, and Roy just sat there. Coach said, uh, Roy, let's go. Same team starting, let's go. And just sitting there, and Coach went over and grabbed his towel and pulled it back off his head and off his head and, and um, Regal's sobbing, grown men tears. And Coach told him this, which made all the difference. He said, Roy, there's still the second half. And I need you to play for me. Get out there. And he did. And Georgia Tech would tell you that they've never seen a man play harder football in that second half as Roy Regals did. And this is what God does for us. When Jesus died on the cross... He took all of our guilt, all of our shame, everything we could not do, and he covered it all, and he paid it all. He took the wrath of God upon himself so that we could serve him the rest of our lives. And I want us to do two things. Number one, embrace the cross. Embrace it. Some of you today need to embrace these words, whether online or in this room, once for all. Those needs to be your words, once for all, or eternal redemption, or clean our conscience. They need to be your words today. You need to walk out of here with those, or you need to think about those in your house and cling to what happened through Jesus at the cross. You know, we beat ourselves up for our wrong, forgetting that Jesus was beaten for us when he died on the cross. All our failures, all our sins, all forgiven, all because of Jesus when he was punished by God on our behalf. Embrace the cross. Number two, serve. This is why This is why we embrace the cross, to serve God. The next step is to flourish, to serve the living God. We're not forgiven to serve us, to serve sin, but to serve God, and that's advancing, that's flourishing. That's how God turns mourning to dancing. He gives beauty for ashes. He turns graves to gardens, from failing to flourishing, and we need to ask ourselves, God, not what did I blow How did my steps falter? God, what is my next step forward? How can I serve you? How can I be effective for you? Just stand with me. You know, you can go back and punish yourself for no gain. Because you know, even if you do 
you'll still not feel any better. And it makes no difference with you and God. Or you can believe and realize that Jesus was punished for you to remove all of your guilt and you can serve the living God with everything you have. Because if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for the new promises of Jesus. Thank you for the cross. God, thank you for once for all. Thank you for eternal redemption, for cleaning our conscience. God, thank you that we can serve you, that we don't sit here and wallow in penance, but that we can walk in purpose. Help us to be people that cling to the cross, that love our Jesus, and that advance forward for him. We love you, God. And we pray this together in the name of Jesus Christ and all of East Bay Calvary said, amen and amen.